Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Postcard from the Past and Wardour Studios. This is Podcast from the Past, the Postcard Podcast. This is the podcast where we scrutinise old picture postcards, front and back. But we're not looking for serial numbers and printers' names. We're trying to understand what it was that caused my guests to hold on to these ephemeral cardboard oblongs. As I say, each time we welcome two guests, and it's their postcards that act as little handheld prompts to send us scuttling towards memories, mysteries and stories. I'm Tom Jackson and I'm delighted to say that today my guests are writer and broadcaster Bob Fisher and media consultant and author Rachel Chadwick. Rachel and Bob, welcome to Podcast from the Past. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. Now, Rachel Chadwick is the author of 60 Postcards, a book adapted from her blog and her project that had the same name. This was a project she was inspired to carry out after her mother's death and is built around postcards. I'm not going to explain it for Rachel. That's her job. And we're going to hear a bit more about that later on, I hope. Now, alongside Rachel's other writing projects, she works as a media and communications consultant. Rachel comes to us today bearing a BH12 postmark. Yeah, that's right. What's, what's that? Where's, where's, where, where does that take us? Well, I'm down in Bournemouth and Poole area in Dorset, so oh, not lovely. far from not far from the seaside, but also very close to the countryside. So I feel like it's best of best of all the worlds down here. And is this where you come from? It is. So I was born in Poole Hospital, uh, grew up down here, and after university and, and living here for a bit, I moved to London for 13 years. And I think lockdown was the time where I had a, a think about where I wanted to be. And I, I came back. I came back to where I'm from. So, yes. I suspect that's a bit of a, a, a model and a pattern we've seen across the country, actually. People sort of finding they have, for whatever reason, shifting back away from from towns absolutely I think uh, yes many of my friends did the same uh, moved out of London and I realized it's two hours on the train so it's not far um, but just having the yeah the, the fresh air and the seaside on the on the doorstep I think that really that really kind of drew me back so yes it's fantastic to be back here very good and Rachel do you still send postcards I do 
And I think actually the past year more more than I have done in years actually. Oh really? Yeah, I really Tell me more. Well, I mean, I will tell you about my my project to do with postcards which was back in 2012 and I think since then it was like for me it, it revived my love for them after sending them, you know, from places um when I went to, on holiday. Um but then I think just this past year finding just unique and different, I say unique and different, we always used to do this, but actually sending postcards to friends to check in um, and say hello. And I went back to the handwritten note and I just really enjoyed keeping in touch with people that way, especially after endless Zoom calls. Um, <laughs> I think it was it was just really, really lovely thing to to get back into. Yeah. So did you, ha did you have a stack of cards that you could draw on during this year or did you make furtive trips out in lockdown to buy them? Well, I have got stashes of postcards for, <laughs> okay. that I have I've kind of gathered over the years um and also I'm it's a quite often a gift for me now I often find when it's a birthday or Christmas I always get a pack of New Yorker postcards or ah uh, yes yeah penguin postcards or random Oh then you've postcards. got a hundred to get through I've got so many, so many here so you have, this, you're not yeah. sending them because you care for these people you're sending them because you've got to get rid of them all that is also true. I can't deny it. But I just enjoy it a lot. But I think for me, and this is something that we'll touch on a bit, for me, um, I think the front of the postcards are so important and so interesting, but also the words have fascinated me and postcards I've stumbled across over the years, um, the messages behind them, how open they are. There's no envelope, so they're really a public message. I just, I would love to speak to some um, post people about what they've what they've read over the years or seen. Um, but yeah, I think it's just such a fantastic way of, of communicating and I hope it, I hope we keep doing it for years to come. Yes, well, I think the, the, we'll talk later about your project because stumbling across was, was, was a key part of that, really, I think, wasn't it? Yes, yes. The I chance bit... nature of things. Absolutely, yeah. Good, all right, we'll come to that shortly. Now, Bob, you may know Bob Fisher from his radio work over many years when he used to present a show at BBC Tees or from his book, Whiffle Lever to Full, or from his uh, writing in the Fortean Times or articles in Electronic Sound magazine. And you may even know him from the show Summer Winos, his tribute to the television show Last of the Summer Wine. Um, now... I just have to ask you, Bob, is, it, is this still happening or have you thought better of it? Or uh... No, why would you think better about such a noble project? <laughs> yeah, this is me and my friend uh, Drew, or Andrew T. Smith, as he is professionally. <laughs> he's very rarely professional when he's with me. Um, and this is the pair of us discussing our absolute, our, our lifelong adoration of Last of the Summer Wine and our quest to watch it all together and review every episode in turn. So, yeah, uh, we did it at the Edinburgh Fringe in 2018. We toured it nationally in 2019. We were absolutely intending to do it again in 2020 but obviously uh, things got the better of us but uh, the, the, the plan is absolutely to take it back out on the road again as soon as we're able. It's about our fandom of the show, it's about why we love the show so much, it's about what Last of the Summer Wine can tell us about British social history and you know, rather like postcards from the past you know, when, when, a, when, a, when a sitcom runs for 37 years then you, you're going to learn something from right. it about the time in which it was produced and that so kind it, of fascinates us It lives us in the world well. for 30 years. 
Yeah, completely. Uh, you know, when you watch the earliest episodes of Last of the Summer Wine, they absolutely reflect a Britain of 1973, 74, 75. You know, it's kind of grimy and it's post-industrial and it's it's bleak. And, and you know, the conversations veer onto topics that certainly wouldn't make it into a sitcom in, in 2021. So it's it's been a fascinating journey. Wow. And I suppose, um, although, I, you know, I'll be honest with you, I'm not a huge fan of that show. Okay. But, but, it's not compulsory. Um, no, thank goodness. Thank goodness. <laughs> Although I will attempt I, to convert you, obviously. I'm, I'm, I would be, I'm not worried about um, vaccination passports, but when they make Last of the Summer Wine compulsory, <laughs> that's when we're in trouble. I, I did, after all the hours I've put in, I demand the Last of the Summer Wine passport. <laughs> I want a stamp somewhere. But am I right in saying this is shot in Holmfirth, the yes. programme? Yes, absolutely. Now, you will know the the postcard connections with that town, because that's oh, indeed Bamforth, uh, the great postcard publisher, were, were founded were founded in Holmfirth, and in fact they they started out as and this is a bit of a tedious thing to go on about, but they started out making uh, magic lantern slides in, right. in that town, and there's a studio, and so they had skillful photographers and a cast of actors who could act out little scenes, and then as postcards took off in the uh, well, they really took off in a big way at the turn of the century, they started producing postcards. So they were one of the major postcard producers of, of this country, based in Holmfirth. And didn't the postcards veer towards the saucy? Was that their trademark? La- later on, that publisher right, okay. became a, 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 one of the main saucy postcard producers. Yes, 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 yes absolutely. And, and as a result, like a lot of people making saucy postcards, ended up in court from time to time. Oh, did they? Right, OK. They were that saucy, that level of sauce. Well, I think maybe the standards were different. <laughs> <laughs> there is a there's a curious scene. It's in a, a 1977, I think, episode of Last of the Summer Wine, and um, uh, the main characters go on holiday in Scarborough. And there's a ah. scene where it's Compo, Clegg, and Foggy are flicking through a rack of saucy postcards uh, you know, on on location in Scarborough. But obviously, it's got that lovely connection because those postcards would almost certainly have been produced in Homeforth, where they're normally yes. filming. So we wondered yes. if that was a kind of cheeky little, a little nod to the programme's filming locations. I, th- I, I think it would have to be. I think it would have to be. They would, they would have known about it, wouldn't they? I think it would have been in somebody's head. Bob, you come to us today with a uh, TS. 15 postmark? Yes, right? I, I, absolutely, you have. TS15 is um, is Yarm, and it's a small town. It's about 10 miles from Middlesbrough, a medieval town with a lovely cobbled lovely. high street, and it's where I've always lived. My family moved here in 1976, and we did up an old house, and apart from three years at university in Lancaster in the 1990s, I have never lived anywhere else. Very good, very good. Uh, Bob, when did you last send a postcard? Um, it's within the last six months. I actually, I, I've been thinking about this because I knew you would ask it. I've got a curious feeling. The last postcard I sent was to a celebrity. I can chuck in some showbiz here if you like. Hello, excellent. Um, but, uh, oh yes, because um, uh, what I tend to do with postcards, I buy postcards of Yarm. Uh, from the shops in the high street. And and right. like Rachel, I have a stash of these things. I've always got, you know, a dozen of them stacked up on the mantelpiece ready to use. And I kind of send them out as thank yous yes. to people. So if somebody has done something nice for me, um, I will sometimes... Or, you know, if I'm posting something to somebody, I'll just write out a little yarn postcard and put that in. And um, last year I did a, a really nice interview with uh, Dave and Tony Arthur 
um, who both worked on Play School oh. and Play Away in the yes, 1970s. I remember Tony Arthur well, yes. Absolutely. Uh, well, I interviewed Dave and Tony because before Play School, um, they were uh, just a brilliant folk music duo. Yeah. Um, wrote a feature about uh, one of their extraordinary albums, and um, uh, that was for the 14 Times. And uh, to say thank you, uh, Tony actually sent up a couple of jars of her homemade marmalade, oh. which was a which was a triumph. Um, so I think I wrote her a little postcard back just to say thank you. Very good. Oh, this is this is the way you should be treating your showbiz chums. Mar- <laughs> marmalade and postcards. Come on, this is very civilized. Exactly. I feel a bit bad. I didn't send a postcard to Dave. Now maybe I should do that. Yeah, well, but Dave didn't send you the marmalade, so... <laughs> that is true. That is very true. It's his loss, isn't it? Uh, before we see and hear the cards that Bob and Rachel have um, prepared already, um, I'll give you a quick one of mine. This is a postcard from the past card, like I do on Twitter or in a book. So it's an old card from which I've selected just a bit of the message. Um, so let's have a look at this one. This is... Um, now, actually, because we're not sitting opposite each other in the studio, we've all got these sort of dope sheets where I've printed all the pictures out so we can all see the cards that each of us have, uh, despite the fact that we're sort of scattered across the UK. Um, so this <laughs> is a picture Turn to of... page seven in your textbook. Exactly. <laughs> this is uh, a picture of Harlech Castle. Um, and it really looks like a... It, it, it looks like a, a castle from a children's book, actually. The, the sky is um, just sort of flecked with little cotton wool clouds. And the castle itself looks as though it might have been made out of those rather expensive composite bricks you could get in the 1930s for children. <laughs> it doesn't look real. Um, anyway, the, the, the message I thought was, was intriguing. It's sent in August 1977. We visited Harlech today. This is someone called B. They don't um, give more of a name for that. And they're sending it to some people in London, in uh, West London. And they say, we visited Harlech today. Weather is still wet. And Penny took the guides to Puetli yesterday evening to see Saturday Night Fever with John Travolta. And then in brackets, what rubbish! (laughs) (laughs) Even the guides thought so. And it's a well-known film. (laughs) I just thought that... I love that little bit on the end. And it's a well-known... It's like... uh, if ever you go to see anything that's rubbish, you can just say, well, and it's a well... I mean, well-known doesn't mean good, so there's no correlation there, but... I could kind of... I, I, do you know what? I think that might be a slightly inappropriate film to take a load of guides to see. I mean, see, they're just quite young. That. It's quite yes. a hard-hitting... It's like... It, yes. I think at the time it was marketed as, oh, it's John Travolta in a cool disco film. Yes. But I didn't see it until a few years ago. It's quite hard-hitting, isn't it? It's quite I think, gritty. I think it was an 18 as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so maybe they had to sneak. I hope that if the guys were in uniform, there's no way they'd have got in. <laughs> I can just imagine poor brown owl's jaw dropping throughout that film. <laughs> I mean, like re- to reach out with both arms to cover the eyes of all the girl well, guides either side yes. of her. And doesn't someone fall off the Brooklyn Bridge at the very yeah. beginning? Or it's just yeah. awful. Uh, it's it's a really end, good film. Yes. Yeah, it is a terrific but it's, film. It's, but it's, it's not. Yeah. It's brutal. Anyway. Even the guides thought it was rubbish. (laughs) There you go. Um, I'll do another quick one of those. This is um, this this one. I think actually has been rather cut off on your scan. I'm afraid it's of um, Bleak House in Broadstairs, in Kent. Um, It's a rather gothic-looking house that I know has. um, I think it does have Charles Dickens connections. Did he live there? I'm not sure. Um, Anyway, it's a Valentine's card. I mean, the, the publisher called Valentine's. 
and it's sent to Huntingdon, and it's uh, from someone called Ivy, and it says, Having a restful holiday with plenty of sunshine, Broadstairs has some very interesting places. So sorry to have forgotten your surname. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. So, um, I mean, you know, it's a fair point to make if you don't. It's still nice that they sent it, but it just feels a bit, uh, I don't know, feels a little bit like they could have made the effort. I know, it's a curious thing to send a postcard to somebody whose surname you don't know. That doesn't quite equate with me. I kind of send postcards to people that I know. Know and love, yes. Yeah. (laughs) But I I think it's probably, because I have spent some time considering this, I think it's probably a neighbour. Maybe so they, you know, they know that they they know them enough to send them a card, and they know their address because they're just down the road. Yes, but they they don't actually know their surname. But uh, I don't know. Her Frankly, at number twelve. Yes. They should have googled it <laughs> in thirteenth of July, nineteen sixty-seven. Oh, I I love the honesty in that. I love it. I don't know your yeah. name, but you know, hope you're well. <laughs> and also, you're still getting the card. Yeah. So if you're going to gripe about that, then that's your problem. <laughs> I wouldn't have drawn attention to it myself, I don't think. Just (laughs) done a a squiggle. Absolutely, yes. Just just (laughs) gone with the first name, like it was a familiar, friendly thing. Uh, We don't need surnames. We're that close. Yeah, or just dear Mr and Mrs... (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. Oh, could you not read it? I'm so sorry, I got nudged. (laughs) It must have got wet. It must have got rained on at some point on the journey over. Yeah, I do see a lot of cards where people say, sorry about the writing, I am, and they kind of say, sitting on the bus. Sitting right, on, yes. It, it, it's, it's, it's resting on my knee, or <laughs> someone is keeps punching me, or just sort of, people have lots of excuses for poor handwriting. I'm on holiday and I'm drunk. Yes. <laughs> I've had 17 pints. <laughs> sorry about that. Well, I should remind everyone at home, um, images of all these cards, uh, including... Um, Bleak House in Broadstairs and uh, Harlick Castle and all the ones we're going to see during the programme um, are going to be on the blog postcardfromthepast.co.uk so you can see what they're like and tell that we're not making it up now, <laughs> Bob and Rachel you've been kind enough to dig stuff out for us you've done your homework Rachel, let's start with you now, the first card is really one that kicks us into the whole story of your well-known association with postcards. Yes. So the first, the first postcard of mine is part of a, of a bigger project. I did a few spare, and this is one that I've kept hold of for that reason. I'm glad um, you did. I'm glad. I'm glad I did too. I'm now wondering if maybe I only left 50 postcards and I had a few spare, <laughs> but when I tell you about why, I'm like, did I, did I count D- right? Don't tell the publishers. Don't tell the publishers, but I left around 60 postcards. Um, Yes, so 60 postcards. So um, this takes me back to 2012, February. My mum passed away from bowel cancer. It was pretty swift. She was unwell over Christmas, um, had a colonoscopy in January. You can never say that word. Um, Colonoscopy, yes. And... um, sadly was diagnosed with bowel cancer and died 16 days later so it was all um a huge shock my poor mum um and i think even in 2012 it 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 seems like forever ago but also like it was last year really but for me dealing with 
the grief of that situation, I just, I had no idea um, how to do anything. Within a month I had, you know, gone home, she'd passed away, had the funeral and I was back at work, you know, Mm. and it was just all such a a whirlwind. I think I did, you know, the very British thing. I put on a a face, I I carried on. Um, I said, everything's fine, everything's fine, I'm okay. I'm going to keep going. Because what else do you do? Yeah, what do you do? Well... Um, now, of course, it's very different. But back then, I kind of I did a bit of research online. How you know? How can I read about what I'm going through? And I got to the point where I really had just pushed it completely to the side, and also felt like I'd completely stopped talking about my mum. Oh. Um, and I'd really had bottled that all in, and I was just desperate to keep talking about her. But of course, you don't want to burden other people with this, um, even though, of course, they wouldn't mind. But you don't want to you know, to share about it too much and make other people feel uncomfortable. Mm. Um, so that just over the summer, I was I was struggling and I was thinking, right, it's coming up to her 60th birthday. These big milestones are often difficult in the run up. The anxiety was building. And I thought, I really, really want to do something very special to mark her birthday and to remember her. And I think that got me thinking. I spoke to my two sisters and we were talking about, you know, all the fond memories of the holidays. We went to Cornwall every year when I was growing up. Um, we we only went, I think we went to France a couple of times, but really Cornwall was our place. And I used to get, you know, go to Mevagissey and get postcards from there and we mm. used to send them back. And I think that really just got me thinking about postcards. And I thought, well, I can't send a postcard home to mum when I go anywhere anymore. So I thought, how about Mm. I reverse the protocol of the postcard and actually write postcards about her to leave them um, for people to find. So um, my mum had given me Eurostar vouchers before she passed away for my last birthday. And I would have gone with her had she been here, but I went with a group of friends and I decided to really make this a celebratory weekend. And I wrote these postcards and scattered them all around the city um, in in, I popped them into... I felt like I was doing something wrong, but also, you know, it felt a bit cheeky, but I was... It is. Leaving, it's, there's something semi-illicit about it, I think, definitely. Yeah, it did Secretive. feel like that. Secretive, yeah. I was leaving them in postcard racks, so people must have been like, what's going on? <laughs> I'm trying to buy a postcard and it's already written. Um Oh, I don't want this one. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You know what? Sometimes it's funny because I was trying to leave them in, you know, cafes and places and occasionally you'd get someone who would chase after me and give it back to me. And I'd be like, oh, no, that was the point (laughs) I was going to leave it. Oh, you found one. I see. Um, But it really became quite a magical experience that weekend of of scattering her memory around and using these postcards. And I and I invited people, actually, when they found one to get in touch with me. so really, that's what then launched um, the big project because I did start hearing from people after that weekend. So um, the ripples people... started to happen. It did, and I couldn't believe it. Um, <laughs> people were, yeah, reaching out and um, from kind of all corners of the world. You know, a group of students from America who were there and found it together. Um, a, a ballet dancer from New York found it in the Shakespeare and Co. bookshop. <laughs> Um, and it just became, I felt like I'd stepped into a film. Um, and w- with this, I was I felt I was able to use the magic of the postcards to be able to talk talk more openly about mum without it, you know, having uh, that, that tinge of sadness. I was able to say, this is my mum. This is what she was yes. like, you know. Also, so sort of it, talking yeah. to a stranger. In fact, it's, it's more than a stranger. It's a stranger you haven't even come across yet. 
Yes, completely. And maybe there was something in that. I think I found over the years actually speaking about, um, you know, grief and mental health, sometimes opening up to people you don't know is sometimes really, really, really beneficial and helped me a lot. So actually, yeah, speaking to strangers helped me in that in that time, really. And um, as for the front of them, (laughs) I mean, they're they're, um, postcards by Norman Parkinson images. So you know, fantastic photographer. Very chic image. The one we're looking at is is a woman standing on a uh, a, a town town sign. Is it? Yes. With, a, with an umbrella sign. at a jaunty angle. Yes, and and stood on there, all the glamour of the sixties. Oh, so she's and, wearing um, a ridiculous sort of poncho dress, which I think most people would look like it was a sack of potatoes. But <laughs> <laughs> she's some amazing model, and she makes it look it's so elegant. She's it's not like a, it's like a pop art poncho, isn't it? Yes. It's like yeah. a Liechtenstein poncho. <laughs> You know, I, I rather like that the town sign is, is D-I-Z-Y as well. Yes. It, it feels like Dizzy, obviously, and I, I feel that's not a mistake, is it? That's, uh, that's, that was deliberate. Yeah, that was deliberate, and it's, it's called Dizzy Queen, and, yeah, it was taken, um, yeah, in August 1960. And I just, I, I also feel, I feel like I've, I've cheated a little, little with this. Like I say, for me, it was the message and the words. The postcards, actually, of course, I'd come up with this grand plan, was rushing to get to, to King's Cross <laughs> and suddenly realised I needed to buy some postcards. Oh. And I've, so I, I, I really went, fell in love with three designs um, by Norman Parkinson. This was one of them. And there were three, and they happened to have enough for me to buy I want to say 70, so I had some spares. Yes, um, quite right. Yes, and just and I just saw them and I just was immediately... I thought Mum would love these. This is the kind of postcard that I can imagine Mum would love um, yes, if I yes, was to yes. send, send it to her. So, yeah, really, this is where my love, love for the postcard project began. And from then, I left many more postcards for strangers but also started using postcards again, you know, right. from, from wherever I went. Um, yeah, but it was. It feels to me like you know. I, I, I've read your book, and it's a, it, it's a, it's a mixture of being a, a very uh, touching recollection of of your time with your mother, um, but also it's a description of a slightly wild weekend, getting drunk with some friends. So it's it's a it's a strange mixture of what was going on, but it was a special time. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, for those months leading up to that trip, I I hadn't felt like I. I'd felt happy. I always think that when you lose someone, you almost you feel guilty when you when you're yes. laughing, when you're having fun. And I really felt that. And I still feel. I mean, I don't. I don't mean this to sound too depressing, but I do feel like you feel your happiness is then capped at ninety percent, eighty percent, because you can never really fully feel joy without some kind of guilt that they're not here. Um, so I think really for me it was that weekend was such a turning point for me to be with my friends and to really smile but also with her in the memory as well Brilliant. and she was the focus of the weekend so it felt like yes we got very drunk and we ate a lot of cheese and and we had a really good giggle but it was it was all surrounded by this message for her so i think that mm. really that really made it and it was a turning point for me hugely um, and became a huge part of my life. Really. And she had she had pointed you towards it in a strange way because you had those tickets on the Eurostar. So it wasn't this wasn't an alien idea. This is an idea that tied in with what she appreciated and understood and knew that you liked. Absolutely, and and also so I knew so I had a. a, a I'm going to try not to get emotional. Um, I had a very difficult conversation with her, the only one 
that really acknowledged what was happening in those those two mm. weeks that she was she was passing away. And she, I said, would would you be able to write something in case I have children in the future or something um, that I could kind of keep? And she said, I I I can't do that. I just can't. And I trust you and your way of words to to tell people about me. And mm. so it was that moment that um, I I guess I had that in my mind that I knew I would want to write about her in some way. And mm. I think this then, I thought I will write a blog about this adventure and that would, you know, help me in terms of being able to write about her yes. uh, and the journey of it all. Yeah. And maybe there's some truth in the whole process there as well, because actually it's our job. It's our job to remember people who've gone, yeah. who've died, you know, yeah. so... And and you made it your job, and you made a good job of it. So, you know, yeah. it's a, you turned it into a positive, which is a very um, you know noble thing to have done. Yeah, I think um, I feel terrible, obviously, now for even asking that question. But she understood, and she no, it's a conversation. She, she told me. Um, so yes, so I feel like this was very much all centered around, guided by her gifts and her words. So, yeah. And this idea of of things going out and being found in a chance way um i was reading the other day i mean i'm, I'm not looking to um to shoot down your plan here you're not the first person <laughs> to have done this um there was a chap in about 1900 who left postcards on trains in the hope that people would find them this chap uh, you may have heard of him reginald bray um, he, he he did a lot of very odd things with the post, actually. <laughs> I, I, I mean, he would send turnips to himself. He would put a tag on himself and send himself home via the post. So it, it makes oh, your activities wow. seem very, very calm and, and considered, to be honest. But oh, he did I want to read about this. This sounds yeah, amazing. He's an odd character, but he did, he did put cards on trains. I don't know why he did it. Certainly he didn't have a sort of... Um, an overriding reason like you did it was i think he i think he was trying to test the rules of what would happen with the post because the right. the post is a very regulated thing so you see ah oh, well if you're allowed to send a package maybe i can send a live pig <laughs> i mean to be honest this is the kind of person you would not want to spend a weekend in paris with i don't think <laughs> no but I, I i admire what he did um gave it a go and i would love to read more about his yeah his journey yeah yeah well uh, uh, the photographs i've seen of him he's surrounded by postcards and looks utterly miserable <laughs> so, uh, which, maybe his uh, pig had got lost in the post yeah, yeah. I, i've been waiting for two pigs three sheep <laughs> and i'm due to be posted on tuesday <laughs> and when the courier brought it he didn't even knock on the door he just left the pig on the driveway <laughs> stuck a but card through the letterbox i think quite a lot of artists have dealt with the idea of chance things happening the chance yeah. encounter and then that's that's it's always exciting, I think, because you don't know what's going to happen, you know, by definition. Absolutely. And I think, I guess, maybe it's also to be said is that I'm, I think anyone reading um, what I did would think of me as younger than I was at the time. <laughs> and really? I see it as well. I don't even recognise myself when I even read, right. read back. Um, I think I, you know, I lost my mum and I, I felt like I turned into, I started calling her mummy again at one point. And I was like, I just felt, like I, I, it was quite childish, I think, childlike, and it was a bit 
I, I'm a bit of a dreamer anyway, but it was almost like I, I was back as a 15, you know, 15 year old yeah. or even younger wanting, wanting some kind of magic to happen, some kind of hope, yes. I think. And I think, yeah, that's when I, like I say, when I read my book, if I ever have a little look, I, I don't recognise <laughs> the words. I'm, I sound so, uh, I think, young and yeah, I think now I would write it in a different way. I yeah, think, but you can't you know. go back, and that person can't go forward, and yeah, you know, yeah, it reads well. It reads well. It is what it is. The project is, the pro, and it's a perfect project in its own way. I think that really, you know, and it and it worked for you, didn't it? it, it yes. It, 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 you know, although it's it's entertaining to read about it and fascinating, and um, and touching. It was very. It, it had a real emotional meaning for you. Yeah, absolutely, and I think then what it became beyond that and being able to do it for other people um and even recently you know for mother's day people went off and left postcards on mother's day in memory of mums um and i created about i think about 30 people took part and they've i've put on my website all of their postcards and and stories so it's really been a a great way of people kind of marking the memory of someone which has been great to to be able to offer that idea for people to try yeah so your bonkers idea that you came up with has turned into something that has real help for lots of people that's that can only be a good thing yes yeah i like to think so (laughs) brilliant brilliant good well bob hello what's the first card on your doormat (laughs) <laughs> okay. Oh God, this is this is going to sound incredibly superficial after the conversation we've just had with Rachel. Uh, mine there's, is there's room for everything. There is room. For everything. The postcards <laughs> cover church, all of life. All of life. I do, I would say I do identify with you looking back at your book and thinking, oh, I, I seem very young in this because I <laughs> I did the same. Um, mine mine was a, a travelogue of science fiction conventions that I went to in my thirties. Um, and it came out in 2008 initially, and then it was, and I was 35 when it was published, and it was reissued in 2018. And a, and a bit of me thought, oh blimey, should I let this actually be reissued? Because when I read it, it was oh god, you were an idiot. You were just this horrible, drunken, facile idiot who didn't take anything seriously. But I, maybe these things should just stand as a kind of snapshot of where you were at the time, I think. Yeah. Well, kind of... whether, they, whether they should or not, there's nothing you can do about it. That's just... Yeah, exactly. So yeah, you, know. you, you might as well get used to it, you know. <laughs> it's like, it is like a diary entry, yeah, uh, yeah. Which, exactly. which, kind of, which kind of ties us in neatly to, uh, to this postcard, actually. So what are we looking at? <clears throat> I, I, can, I can see okay. the sign of love. I can see blue tack on this one. <laughs> did. This was actually blue tacked to my bedroom wall for quite a long time. So this is a postcard of, it is essentially an outdoor education centre. It's an outward bound centre um, on the edges of the North York Moors. So this is, it's, it's Carlton Outdoor Education Centre uh, in the tiny village of Carlton. And it was basically where Teesside kids would be sent to for a week with their school to appreciate the glories of the outdoors. Uh So, so, you know, basically 30 of you 
um, along with a couple of teachers, would be packed into a minibus. Um, it was a, a Friday. The changeover was always a Friday. So on a Friday morning, you would turn up for school, be packed into a minibus. Um, and it was, uh, for us, it was, it was probably a seven or eight mile journey, but it just felt like we'd gone on this extraordinary adventure. And you spend a week living in dormitories with, I'd <laughs> say, some of your best mates and indeed some of your worst enemies. Quite. <laughs> and the, and the, uh, the play, as you can imagine, the place for a week is is acrid with the smell of flaming hot monster munch and ju- <laughs> juvenile fart smells and anything else that eleven year old boys. <laughs> make. You paint. You paint a beautiful picture, don't I? Um, but for many kids, I, and and for me in particular, um, I guess this would be the first time that we'd really spent any time away from our families. You know, I'd yeah. been to stay at my grand's house um, on a regular basis, so you know, be, been away from my parents before, but always within the bosom of the family. But going to Carlton Camp for a week just felt it—it it, it felt like I was entering a different world and kind of taking mm. a small step into an adult world, possibly, um, and. It can be quite ugly that first trip away, can't it? You discover things about your contemporaries and your peers that (laughs) you don't. I certainly did. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Yes, well, Paul Whitehead was sick on his bed on the Sunday morning. I certainly discovered something about my contemporaries and peers and indeed about my teacher. yeah, no, it is. It's, it's, I think it's a curious time of your life when you're a kid. So I was 11. Um, I mean, I've, I've, curiously, I kept a diary. I kept a diary throughout this entire year. So 1984, for a long time, was the only year of my life when I kept a, a diary every single day. Uh, and I was 11 at the start of 1984. Uh, so, uh, and I, I've got it here in front of me. It is, without a doubt, my oh, no. most treasured possession, this diary. Wonderful. So I can tell you that we left for Carlton Camp on Friday the 30th of March 1984 and we came back on Friday the 6th of April 1984. Um, And the postcard that I bought, I undoubtedly just bought this from... Um, I think there was a tuck shop, yeah, you know, this kind I of imagine. yeah, you know, just a, like a, a trestle table set up in the main hall at the camp, um, with a, with a few wham bars and double deckers on it. Um, <laughs> but they were selling postcards as well. So I I bought this postcard. It is simply a picture of the camp itself taken across a field, um, and. I absolutely had no intention of ever writing this card. It's completely unwritten. No intention of ever sending it to anybody, uh, but simply brought it back as a keepsake of of that time. And I, and, and I think it is. I think it's an interesting time for me. That was a matter of weeks. I mean, we're talking April here, and in the July, we all left our primary school. It was our yes. final year at yes. primary school because we were 11. And I, and I don't know if that was even part of the reason why I kept a diary every day for a full year, just to kind of document what I knew would be quite a turbulent year in my life. Um, I think that is a big thing for an 11-year-old, to make that jump from primary school to secondary school. You kind of... You go from being the biggest fish in the pond to being an yeah. absolute tiddler of no consequence to anybody, <laughs> and and the su- the summer holiday uh, in between those two things has a has a real kind of poignancy <laughs> to it as well, and, and a feeling of dread. I just remember a feeling of impending a doom. Cloud. That incre- yeah, completely. <laughs> um, but I have to say, those last few months at primary school, Levendale Primary School in Yarm were like a summer holiday and I think even though we you know all rolled into one and even though that we knew we were leaving soon um 
there was a real kind of and maybe because we knew we were leaving soon there was a real kind of camaraderie between us all and and without a doubt some of the best friends I've ever had in my life were part of that group that went to Carton Camp in in March and April 1984. I, I think um I, I can imagine having been I, I, you know we all a lot of us went on similar things yeah and I can imagine buying the card what I'm having trouble imagining is having that blue tack <clears> to my wall <laughs> many years later I, why did you keep holding it why I, I, I genuinely think I was always sentimental and always nostalgic right. even while I was still a kid right. it's a it's an interesting thing um I remember being I remember being 17 so only you know this is six years later and really trying to remember what I'd done every day in 1984 and to <laughs> to kind of embed because the diary was written in the knowledge that my mum and dad might sneak a look at it at some point right. so there were bits <laughs> left out of it but i think six years later i went back and tried to remember that, the stuff that i'd oh. left out of the diary so even you know as a teenager i had that kind of nostalgia for my for my earlier days and i think I, that there's another kind of level of poignancy here in the um uh, my best friend at the time and and without a doubt one of the best friends i've ever had in my life was a lad called doug simpson um, who for a year between from the end of 1983 to the end of 1984 really and, and a bit beyond we were just inseparable we 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 lived uh, maybe a quarter of a mile apart from each other and we can barely have gone a day in that year um without without spending time with each other going on adventures around yarm exploring the woods and the fields um and uh, just an extraordinarily close friendship um, and that was possibly at its peak around the time that we went to Carlton Camp. All of my photos, I took a little camera with me, and, and they've all got Doug in them. <laughs> um, and we, um, Doug, Doug, Doug had spent part of his childhood in Australia, um, and he moved back there in 1985 with his family. So I I completely lost Doug then, and, you know, in an era when you just didn't you know you didn't keep in touch with friends that moved away. As a rule, you know, they, once once people left your school, that was it; they were gone. So I I didn't have any contact with Doug um, for decades, um, and then he suddenly popped up at my house in 1996, um, twelve years after I'd last seen him. I, I got a phone call out of the blue saying. I'm back in your mate. Do you want to go for a point? <laughs> He's gone native. Um, so that was lovely. And then lost touch again. And then I, I, we just started to make contact again um, in around 2007, 2008. Um, when I, I'm very sad to say that Doug died um, at the age oh, of... He, I, I know. Um, he would have been 36, I think, oh, or just goodness. coming up to his 36th birthday. Um, and it really, really hit me hard, uh, like enormously so. I just, and I, st I still feel an incredible sense of loss about it, and a sense of regret that I didn't make more of an effort during, you know, the intervening years to keep in touch with him. Um, so I think, I think when I look back at 1984 now, and, and this postcard and the diary and all of the stuff that we did during that week. Um, Doug is at the heart of all of it, so it's kind of a way of of remembering him as well. Goodness, and and if someone looked at that card without having had this conversation, <laughs> n none of that 
None of that no, would be there. there Isn't is that strange? Not, it's not written, absolutely. It is literally... It's, it's what it's, you bring to it. It's a postcard of, of yeah, of an outdoor education centre in the North York Moors with nothing written on the back and a couple of, <laughs> a couple of, couple of faded blue tack marks. Um, but totally, that. I, I mean, I have very little from that era because, again, it was just, you know, we, we didn't keep stuff particularly. Mm. Um, I did in my later teenage years. I got quite a lot of stuff from my, from my, from my later... Um, teens but but at the age of 11 stuff was kind of disposable so I, I i did i was devastated um earlier this year the only physical object that that doug ever gave me that i ever remember him giving me um was something he brought back from from holiday once and it was just a little um it was like a touristy like a little glass the, uh, you know, said uh, property of Exmoor Prison. Um, please return. You know that. Kind, <laughs> you know, good. he'd, be, he'd been good. on holiday there, and bought, and he just brought me that back. <laughs> and I and I kept that for what thirty years plus, um, thirty five years. And I bloody dropped it earlier oh. in the year. I was just shifting stuff around in the kitchen cupboard and dropped it, and it smashed. And I was oh. it's like it was like I'd lost him again. That was oh. my only kind of physical reminder, something that I knew that he'd touched. Um, and it was gone, so I've, st- I've still got all the broken shards of glass. I just put them into a, 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 a lump of tissue paper and wow. kept them in a mug. So, um, yeah, wow. it's you really, still... You really do have sentimental attachment to these things. I do. I, mean, I, I think I'm a bit of a, I'm a, bit of a hoarder, but um, <laughs> I, I'm not, I think you've got a very <clears throat> precise way of dealing with these things. It's, I'm, I'm impressed. Do you know what? I, I always get... There's a wonderful film called Stand By Me, a Rob Reiner film with River oh, yes. Phoenix and Will Wheaton. And it's, um, you know, about a bunch of 11-year-olds basically enjoying their last summer together, going on an adventure down the railway line. Um, and it's, it's, it's framed um, with a narrative by, by Richard Dreyfus, who, who plays the grown-up version of Will Wheaton's character. And he's become a writer at the end of the film. Um, and, and the last line of the film is, I don't think I ever had friends again like I did when I was 11 years old. Uh, Jesus, does anyone? Yeah, and I yeah. just, I mean, it's getting to be now. I can't, I can't watch that bit without, <laughs> it, it, it just, it destroys me. Because I think there's, it's, there's truth in I that. think there's, there's truth so much in truth in that. I think there is. I really think there is. Very good. Well, look, thank you for unpacking, <laughs> you know, shake, shaking the meaning out of that card because I thought this isn't very promising, but there's, my goodness. My goodness. Oh, you didn't see where that was going, did you? No, no, um, no, no. I I was... should, but I should never have underestimated you both. <laughs> it's just, it's a week that, I mean, I can remember so many details of that week, the. I would, you know, the the ghost stories that fly around uh, when you've got thirty kids in a dormitory <laughs> together. The grey lady that haunted Carlton Camp, which is a friend of mine pointed out, it's always a grey lady, isn't it? Yeah, it's never a the purple worst. lady. The worst. Or a, yeah, it's never a it's never a dark blue lady. Um, so all of this stuff is just kind of packed into to that Re- Rachel, to memories did, of that week and that card. Did you have an uh, age eleven kind of? trip away that that is formative for you i'm trying to have a think i definitely went to brownie camp i said make one up make one up yeah i didn't watch <laughs> i didn't watch an 18 film on my so you to see Saturday that's Night for Fever. sure yeah no gutted we just had to <laughs> run How around playing rounders <laughs> oh very disappointing nothing mad happened there but i was just i was just thinking actually bob i was going to say have, have you been back there recently 
Um, not recently. Was. Curiously, I have actually been back there. Um, do you know what? Again, this this might have been part of the process because I did it shortly after Doug died. Right. Uh, two, oh. 2009, um, I, un I unearthed my 1984 diary and decided to blog it every day exactly 25 years on. So 25 years on from the original diary entry, um, I, I would put that diary entry on my blog and then kind of pick it apart and add the memories that I could oh. embellish it with. Um, so I, And I did that every day throughout 2009. So as, as part of that strange project, which I purely did for kind of my own entertainment and you know and, and or exorcism delete as applicable um <laughs> i did make contact with lots of places and people that i'd encountered in 1984 including you know the, the teacher that took us to to carton camp mr hurst who was just wonderful um and i think i did go back i've, I've certainly been back there a couple of times since then but i think that was the first time that i went back for a look around um, and then I've got a friend who's a teacher um, and was there with his school. He allowed me to come and have a little look around one day as well. Um, and uh, do you know what? The, the thing that really hit me, the thing that absolutely transported me, um, and I'd completely forgotten about this, uh, there's a drying room at Carlton Camp where basically you, you hang up your wet cagoules. You've got to find your romance where you can. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yes. You hang up your wet cagoules. After you've been yomping around the moors and falling in ponds uh, for them to dry. And when I walked into that in 2009 and the smell of 30 <laughs> damp cagoules hit me, I nearly took my eyebrows oh. off. It was extraordinary. But uh, I'm, the, I'm the not going to bother reading Proust. <laughs> I don't need that. <laughs> yes. I've got Bob's well, drying room. I don't know what my, my, my Proustian biscuit would be a mint Viscount. Um <laughs> Yeah, I walked walked into that, and I was just transported back to 1984. The smell Brilliant. was so evocative. I probably hadn't smelt that smell since. So yeah, I have been back, and I did find it um, incredible, overpowering in, in in many different ways. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, thank you, thank you for sharing uh, Carlton Outdoor <laughs> Education Centre with us. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. 
Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You're listening to Podcasts from the Past, the Postcard Podcast. And my guests today are writers Rachel Chadwick and Bob Fisher. So, Rachel, what's the second card you've got for us today? Okay, well, I have obviously many postcards to go through, so um, I wanted to choose something a little bit different. I've got many that have been received over the last few years, but this one stood out to me. Um, It was a time, October 2015, I decided to take a month completely offline so I oh, that's a good hid. Idea. Yeah, I I don't know why I really wanted to do it. Maybe I'm I'm I feel like I'm quite old, but but really I'm on the cusp of um, you know social media. I appreciate it. It's been part of my life for for many years now. But I also didn't have a mobile phone till I was a lot older, and I think I was just fascinated you know, with writing and postcards and sending letters. And I thought, right, I'm going to challenge myself and do a whole month offline to do a writing project. So I I hid, actually, my, my housemate at the time took my MacBook and my phone <laughs> as well, my mobile phone, and I, I just decided to do a whole month. And this I got... cold a, turkey. I went completely cold turkey. And for that month, it was absolutely fascinating. And Hmm. as so many postcards were exchanged saying, meet you here on this date in the pub. This is the place. If you're not Ah. there in 30 minutes, I'm off. Yes, Um, proper, proper arrangements. It was amazing. And then in the down in um I lived in King's Cross at the time and there was a local shop and I got to know them really well and they put a sign in the window because they knew they were doing it and they said Rachel there's something in here for you so they said they had a lot of people going in saying that they were Rachel I went in (laughs) there's always one there's always one there were several and I went in and the the woman who owns the shop had had lent me her her old camera that you put a film in which I you know I I had growing up so it just became this wonderful month I was asking people for directions yeah I was getting lost even in London when I thought I knew the way but of course you get so used to looking looking on your phone and you know the map so I really kind of started to look up basically and this one this postcard that was sent to me actually it's something that I would never do is is um send one from the internet i like the the finding a postcard and writing yes. it but this is one of those really... apps isn't it where you can this is upload one of these apps. A, 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 an image and they send it from somewhere a sort of third location so, so for it's me not, it's yes. not printed abroad it's printed local to you somewhere relative. but there was a sense of irony in this that i had that i had really wanted to <laughs> this this month to be full of handwritten notes but of course my friend who lived in brunei who i was in regular contact with completely panicked and had no way of kind of reaching out and getting in touch so went online and she she loves data she she's a geography teacher and um and had sent me a postcard telling me stats about mobile phone access um and you know the ironies are bouncing around here yeah it's all it was just it, i found it hilarious when i received it um and i just it was just amazing really the whole that she had chose to chosen to do this, this was the only option 
that she had to send me a communication that far away during that month. There was no other way she could mm. she could get in touch. And um, it just really reinforced my love for writing postcards, which I did all of that, that month. Um, and kind of regular communication um, in that way from there. So I've always written letters now since. But this Oh, so really... it did change you? It did completely, yeah. But I think it was just I found this postcard fascinating because it was the only one of its kind. The rest are all um they were, you know, bought in London shops and, and yes. sent to me kind of immediately and so they would come the next day and this one she'd spent so much effort and she just said she just wanted to send me one thing that month that she knew that would get there in that time. <laughs> so I just yeah, I just found it all just such an incredibly interesting um experience and I you know I met, met strangers <laughs> I you know I kind of it was a bit more adventurous with where I was exploring and what I was doing but really it just reminded me of the power of communicating via post really. were you were you working during this month I took, you take the month, a month off? I took the month off to do the writing ah, project because okay. I couldn't because I couldn't work so of yeah. course my, my work were very persuading persuading your colleagues not to email you could be quite I know. Well, actually, my colleagues did send me postcards um, saying, "Can you hurry up and come back now? <laughs> this is getting this is getting silly." But I, you missed, I just you missed the meeting at three o'clock. Yeah, three they days wrote me ago. Notes. <laughs> <laughs> and then I also found postcards that I used to draw maps on. So, because I had so many postcards, I would draw maps on of where I was going that night, um, uh. so I could find my way around. So these, I've actually got a whole collection of postcards from that month. Which are just are just completely. There's some I've written notes on to remind myself about things and uh, yeah directions and then meetings. So you just have them in your pocket. Yeah, I just have them with me. Um, Very so they're good. They're kind of leading me, leading me like around. Prom- was, prompt cards or something. Prompt cards, exactly. Yes. Very good. And, and when when the thing ended, when this project, this self-imposed monastic <laughs> life ended, did you sort of go bonkers and go online? 48 hours non-stop or something. No, I had I had a really horrible first week because I thought, I just don't want, you know, I don't want to go back on now. I honestly found it so... You must have had a full inbox. I said you had two and a half thousand emails. I did. (laughs) It was, yeah, it actually was very overwhelming and I thought, what have I done? I should have done one week or two. But (laughs) I took me a while. But I I made changes in my life. You know, I didn't didn't re-upload some of those apps. I kind of thought about it a bit more bit more and I promised myself I would take offline time more often and that I would write to people and send postcards and it really set a precedent for my my friendship group as well we then started communicating more in that way rather than just sending a you know a whatsapp message which was really lovely right Bob well we're putting you under the microscope now it's it's your chance for your last postcard yeah um okay this is this is a little this is something bit mysterious a... isn't it it is this is this is a family mystery um, a one that was only really brought to light over the last few years. Um, when I was a kid in the 70s and 80s, I was very close to my gran, my gran that I mentioned before. I used to go and stay with every weekend. Uh, she was my mum's mum, and she was called Mary, and she lived in a bungalow in, in Middlesbrough. Um, but she wasn't originally from Middlesbrough, um, and this I kind of knew... Um, because she would mention from time to time that uh, she'd been born in in the east end of London. Um, she was born in 1909. Wow. Um, 
So she would talk about that a little bit to me, but not in any great detail. And obviously me being a kid at the time, you know, you're just, <laughs> you've got your own distractions really, haven't you? Which I feel terrible about. I mean, God, if you said to me now, you can you can have one day of listening to your gran telling you stories about growing up in London in, in the Edwardian era. Like, my God, I you know, I would snap your hand off. Of uh, but at the time, well, our gran's talking about the old days again, but swap shops on the telly. Um, so, uh, you know, it went over my head a little bit. But I was incredibly close to, to my gran. Um, she died in 1989 when I was 16. Um, and, and still not having really talked that much about her early years in London. But um, it's only a few years ago. It, it would be five or maybe six years ago. Um, my auntie Norma, who's my mum's sister... Um, my granddaughter, daughter, obviously, um, suddenly produced this book that I'd never heard of or seen before. Uh, my mum says she knew it existed, but she'd never seen it, you know, to any great detail. Um, but my auntie Norma passed it on to me and my mum, and I've I've got it in front of me. Um, so this is essentially it's a little black leather-bound book mm. that was given to my gran in 1924 when she moved from London up to Middlesbrough and it is full of the most absolutely touching messages, drawings um, uh. from her London family. Yeah. Um, most of them are from a chap called, uh, well, uh, to her, uh, he was always Mr. Richards, apparently. Um, but his name was Fred, Fred Richards. And he was her stepfather. So basically, my, my oh. gran was the daughter of... Um, uh, her, her real father was a Swedish dock worker who who we've discovered. My, my uncle has uh, my uncle Trevor has done the family tree um, over the last ten years. Uh, we've discovered that that he died. Her father died. Um, uh, certainly on his death certificate, his death by drowning. So we're assuming that he died at oh, work uh, and drowned in the Thames. Um, and and my grand's mum remarried a year later um, to Mr. Richards to Fred Richards who, you know, judging by the contents of this book, they had an incredibly close and loving relationship, uh, Mr Richards and my gran. Um, and judging by the postcard as well that was included within the book. Now, this is the postcard that I've picked out. As far as we know... So just for the listeners, it's what we call a real photographic postcard. So it's a, it's a, it's a, 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 a photograph of which there would be... They would have printed up half a dozen at the most. Yeah. It's not never a commercially available thing, but it is a postcard on the back. Uh, yeah, no, I'm 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 glad you knew that because I I genuinely had no idea how this would would have come about. It is a postcard with a picture of, as far as we know, Mr. Richards himself on it. Um, it's a very kind of staid-looking chap in a in a suit and tie. Um, and and there's a there's a um a credit for the photographic studio on on the back of the postcard as well so is that that's what would have happened he would have gone into a photographic studio got his picture taken and then got a small number of postcards pressed up exactly they print they, they could print them on ordinary paper or they could print them on postcard stock right okay um, and obviously postcard stock was popular because it's a nice size but also you yeah. had the option if you wanted of sending them Right, so so this, as, as far as I can see, this was never actually sent because there's no stamp on it. Although there is a date mark on it, which is the ninth of January. Were sent, really. Right, yeah, 
Um, the, that's, the probably date... the, that's probably in the studio, isn't it, that day? Oh, so you say, was that the day it was pressed up for him? Uh, it's it the looks ninth, like it. 9th of January, 1924. Um, and on the back of it, Mr Richards has written, To Mary... Um, which is my grand's name, um, with love and the best from F. Richards and Three Kisses after it. And I'd say this this was tucked inside the book. Um, I'm going to read you this. This this was inside... This this is written in the book, again, from, from F. Richards. This is dated a little bit earlier. This is the 13th of November, 1923. We don't know exactly when my grand left London for Teesside, but it was certainly... You know, it was around that time. Go happy your way, dear, and with joy in your heart. Forget all the sadness it brought you to part. Forget all your worries and things that were bad. Just remember those sweet, happy days we have had. Then picture the future that's bound to be bright. Try and think that your goal is already in sight. Though it's soon we shall be by the sea set apart. Yet we're right close together in each other's hearts. Just think of your own little boy left behind, praying for you, and if heaven be kind, all your scheming and wishing and hopes will come true, for there's nothing I wish more than all this for you. Okay. (laughs) So Beautiful. Is is that a personal poem, or do you think that's just an autograph book, formulaic poem? I have tried to find, I've tried to Google pretty much every separate line from this poem, and brought up nothing. I, I'm assuming that Fred Richards wrote it himself for my grandmother. He certainly seems to have been quite an artistic chap because there are really good drawings in the book as well that he's signed as a drawing of a sailing boat and of a couple uh, ballroom dancing. But, I mean, the, the most poignant part of this, A, we have no real idea why my gran came to Teesside other, you know, aged 14, you know, even in 1924, young, I think, that yeah. was young to be yeah. leaving yeah. your entire family behind. Yeah. Um, we vaguely know she, like, her family had some agreement with a family on Teesside that in an emergency she should come up here, but we don't know what the connection between the two families was or indeed what the emergency was. All I do know is that my grand's mother, so Mr Richard's you know, wife New died wife. her di- yeah died herself in September 1923. Oh. So whether Mr. Richards decided he wasn't capable of looking after a 14 year old girl and that she should finally move up to Teesside, um, we don't know. Whether I mean there is that cryptic line in the poem that he wrote about a little boy left behind. Yes, we we think it's unlikely that my gran, uh, you know, had a baby at the age of 13, 14. But that line is so It's strange. not him, though, is it? Because he's, he's her know. dad, or stepdad. He's not a he's little stepdad, boy. He's her stepdad, yeah. And he looks, mean, he's, he's a grown-up chap. He's not Oh, a totally, boy. yeah, yeah. I, mean, I don't think he's referring to himself. My no. gran had, had brothers, but they were all older than her. So Goodness I, I genuinely... That, that, that bit is a complete mystery. Um, but what, we, what, what we're fairly certain of, as far as we know, is that... After 1924, she never had any contact with her London family ever again. Really? We and that is the family mystery. We we do not know why. Do you know? I would be genuinely intrigued to hear from anybody who who kind of might think they were related to Mary Fredrickson, who grew up in 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 Poplar and Bow in the, in East London in uh, well, from 1909 to 1924. But to me. 
I mean, all of this is because I didn't. I, I was. I was so close to my gran, but I, and I and I and I loved her so much, but I didn't know any of this. So all of this kinds of mm. it feels like I'm getting to know her sort of retrospectively and 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 sadly posthumously. Um, but I really there would like also to find an irony more in about her. That if if any the complexities of life mm. sometimes are the things people don't want to talk about because that's you know if they've run away to the other yeah. end of Britain yeah that's, so in a way perhaps you would you were destined not to know because at that time because she wouldn't have wanted to talk about it or she would have yeah no I don't think she would have you know if there'd been some incredible like family secret I mean I don't think she would have told me at the age of seven. Um, but none of the other family members knew about it either. So um, it just it just remains this. You know, I like I like a mystery. I like an enigma. And I must admit, there is a little part of me that maybe thinks I should leave it where it is and just mm. kind of you know, my memories of my gran are what they are. And and she was wonderful. And um, um, maybe that's enough for me. But uh, you know, again, the detective part of me thinks, well, I wonder what we could find out here. Well. We'll leave Fred Richards there with all the <laughs> questions that he's posing to us and, um, and, and, and as yet unanswered. Well, look, look, thank, you, thank you so much, both of you, for sharing the cards with me and the listeners today. I, I always say the it's same thing. I never know where the cards will send us. And, <laughs> and today, actually, they've had quite an elegiac, quite a reflective feel, but, um, but it's been really fun hearing about them as well, I must say, certainly for me. Um, a reminder for everyone at home, there will be images of all these cards, including the, the mysterious message from Fred Richards uh, on the blog, postcardfromthepast.co.uk. Um, now, before we let Bob and Rachel log off and bake some banana sandwiches or make a <laughs> sourdough trifle, um, I've got one more postcard for you both. So if you turn to the final page of your dope sheet, um, it's become a habit of ours to end the show with one of these. So... Uh, Rachel, perhaps you could describe for us this um, vision in front of you. Can you see it? <laughs> what a dapper young chap. <laughs> yes. With a, with a gorgeous grey suit and a delightful pocket, pocket square and tie, maroon and polka dot. I rather um, like maroon uh, maroon silk. It looks rather pretty, doesn't it? Yeah, it looks gorgeous. Um, I want you to tell me more about this. <laughs> well, um, regular listeners will be aware. Th this is... Uh, an oversized postcard, and you can probably see it's got a sort of circle on it. I don't know if it's come yes. up on the on the image. Mm. Yes. Uh, it's a record. It's a postcard record. Um, oh. So this is um, made, I think, in in Hungary. Um, but I think it's a German film star, perhaps, okay. or a pop star. And I have his name. This is Stefan Reuter. Reuter as in the news agency. Hmm. Um, now... Because we're not sitting opposite each other in the studio, I've done a bit of preparation, and young Tom, back at Water Studios, has made a digital file of this. So if we listen very carefully, he should be able to play what Stefan Reuter sounds like. There we go. There's your hauntology. <laughs> oh, he's, he's got a whiff of the kind of Bobbies about him, hasn't he? There's a bit of yeah. Bobby Vinton or Bobby V about him. You're absolutely right, I think. I'm looking for a date. I don't think there's a date on it. 
Um, it's got to be late 50s or early 60s? Yeah, I think so. I think so. The song is called um, Welt in der Ferne. Weit in the Ferne? I can't quite read it. <laughs> but I always say the same thing. It's not bad for a piece of cardboard. Yes! No. Um, I've got second-hand records that sound worse than that. <laughs> that I've paid a lot of money for. And it's definitely better than the flexi discs you used to get on the front of magazines and music papers. Yes, and it kind of is one, but even thinner and but laminated onto card. But it's card. Wow. It's, but there's a shiny um, laminate on it. Yeah. And the grooves are in the laminate. Wow. Well, as the charming Stefan Reuter continues to rotate at exactly 45 revolutions per minute, <laughs> that's it for this time on Podcast from the Past. I'd very much like to thank my first-class guests for sharing the postcards from their pasts, Bob Fisher and Rachel Chadwick. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you very much. And thank you for listening. Bye for now. You can see more postcards with their messages posted every day on Twitter. Do follow me at Past Postcard. And you can buy the book, Postcard from the Past, by me, Tom Jackson, at Amazon and all good booksellers. And if you're looking for podcast production, check out wardorstudios.co.uk. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.